0: Welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg. And on today's episode, Brianna Howard is with us to discuss the legacy of Edwin Drake, the first person to strike oil in America, and how his discovery has changed the lives of so many, especially in her home state where it all happened, Pennsylvania. We're also going to discuss how the hardworking Americans in the energy industry are often denigrated by a media class that belittles their contributions and why it's so important to fight back. Brianna Howard is the mayor of Mountain Jew at Pennsylvania and the social media manager at IWF. Prior to joining IWF, Brianna was a director of digital media for the House Budget Committee Republicans, and she previously served in the Trump administration as a special assistant to the U.S. Secretary of Labor, Eugene Scalia. Brianna, a pleasure to have you on She Thinks. Thanks so much, Beverly. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Well, before we get into Pennsylvania's energy legacy, I first wanted to ask you about being mayor of Mount Jewett, Pennsylvania. And I think it's interesting because as people would probably be able to tell if they were looking at you right now, watching this instead of just only listening, you seem very young. How old were you when you were elected?
1: Yes, I was 25 when I was elected. So I was sort of fresh out of um, DC. I had moved home back to my hometown, which, you know, I was um, fresh to the DC scene and I was excited to be back home and there was an opportunity to serve my hometown and I went for it and I was 25. I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into. Um, It's been about two years and I have enjoyed the experience and I have two years still to serve um, my hometown, but
0: it's been a great experience so far. And when you Mm -hmm. threw your hat in the race. Did you think you were going to win or when you found out that you actually were becoming the mayor, was it a a little bit of fear mixed in of what did I get myself into?
1: Yeah, there was a lot of unknowns, right? So um, there was no one actually on the ballot. Um, it was a write-in race um, between a, another gal and myself, who um, is very involved in our community. Um, so it was—I wasn't sure what to expect. You know, I didn't know if I would win or not. Um, but I thought, why not? Right? I—I I had some experience in D.C. I was passionate about some changes I—I I thought should be made in my hometown. Um, so it's been a good experience, and it, it, again, a lot of unknowns, right? You don't know what to expect, especially from you know federal government, where I had some experience. Um, as you mentioned, but um, I would say local politics is very different. And I've been, um, you know, entrenched in that and learned a lot about how those differences are, you know, very unique in their own right. So
0: any, anything that you would say to somebody who may be considering running for city council or superintendent or anything along those lines, what would you say about getting involved in local politics, whether positives or negatives?
1: I would say that anything you can do to help your community is is very it's very humbling. It's very any opportunity to help other people. It's it just should, goes to show you know one small chance to help other people. I think goes a long way. It's shocking to me how many people thank me for just the smallest things, right? Like in a small town like mine, we're a very small town. Um, but people thank me for the little things. We have community opportunities like festivals and we have a big Christmas party in the, and you know, around Christmas time. And people come up to me and just thank me for, you know, being a face of our community. And that always means a lot to me. So I think anyone who wants to get involved in their community, I think you would be surprised how much it would mean to the, the folks around you, even if it's just, you know, a small thing. And even in, you know, towns a lot bigger than mine. Um, You know, everyone, everyone deserves someone um, who to represent them who has good intentions. So um, I would say go for it. (laughs) And
0: and something that you have been involved in because of your family is the energy industry in the state of Pennsylvania. You recently wrote an op-ed in the Bradford era, which was entitled Edwin Drake's quest for oil lives on in Pennsylvania energy producers. Tell us a little bit about why you wrote this op-ed and who is Edwin Drake?
1: Yeah, so I was very inspired to write this op-ed as we celebrated National Energy Appreciation Day here at IWF. Um, so National Energy Appreciation Day um, celebrated the hardworking men and women of the energy industry, which my family is an integral part of. We are fifth generation energy producers here in Pennsylvania, which is the second largest uh, natural gas producing state in the country. Um, and the energy industry is, uh, is a critical part of um, the American kind of energy um, portfolio across the country and really around the world, right? Energy powers, everything we do. And so I felt really inspired to write this op-ed because, um, you know, Edwin Drake is kind of the father of of what I would say is Pennsylvania's energy um, scene, but also, you know, he's a name around the world that I don't think people know necessarily, but I think because of his contributions and his grit, I wrote a lot about his grit and how it kind of reflects the the modern day energy workers, especially here in Pennsylvania, I see a lot of his struggles, and people like my brothers and my father who are part of that, you know, fifth generation of oil and gas. Um, I would say the roughnecks that are out in the field every day producing the energy needed to power America.
0: And so with Edwin Drake mm-hmm. and him being able to get oil and use it for for purposes that improve all of our lives. What was that process like for him figuring out how to get the oil, how to refine it, how to use it? Did it take him years to figure that out?
1: Yeah, I it would say it's a lot of unknowns, right? He he went into a, a, a landscape where there wasn't a lot of understanding of what oil even would do to change the face of the world. Um, and I think at the end, people really thought he was kind of crazy. He got this kind of understanding of people were like, oh, there's crazy Edwin out in on the fields of the Titusville Creek banks, like seeking oil. Um, and he had this crazy Uncle Billy that was out there with him. Um, and I think, you know, I think the roughnecks—I I call them roughnecks right? they have this, these these guys out in the field now who, like my brothers, they're they're kind of rough and tough guys, right? They're up, out working before the sun is up, and they're home after you know late at night. And I think they have a, a lot of similar traits, right? I didn't obviously know Edwin Drake; this was 200 years ago, but um, I can imagine that they had some similarities, right? They're probably dirty and going to work, and um, but I think his struggle and not knowing exactly what. You know he would strike. Um, reflects a lot of that um, unsureness of some of the men today that are out in the field and women too, right? But um, yeah, his struggle. I think he he didn't know what he was what he was even seeking and and what the product that he was seeking for how it would change the world.
0: And when you talk about it changing the world, obviously we could. Connect so many of the dots and how it improves people's lives. But when you look at it, especially since your family is involved, what would you say that the energy industry provides to people, not just in your state, but in this country and also globally?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when people turn the lights on, they don't make that automatic connection between how energy Directly impacts our lives. Like you flip, you flick on the lights, the energy comes from somewhere. Especially, I think, when you think about people who live in cities, I think their, their power comes from somewhere, your heat comes from somewhere, your air conditioning comes from somewhere. I mean, the gas you put in your car, the makeup we put on. I mean, I just put on some powder to to do the podcast, right? That is a byproduct of crude oil. By the time that you leave the house every single day, your everything you've used is a byproduct of crude oil. Um, the food that we eat, a lot of you know, nitroglycerins, they're all byproducts of crude oil, which is a byproduct of the domestic and foreign, I mean, um, energy extraction uh, process. So I think that those little nuances of the energy industry, I don't think people quite understand how integral that is to our everyday lives and how, you know, interwoven it is into every single product that we consume beyond just turning on our lights.
0: And of course, there is a big push for people to look at alternative energy sources. Um, I always think it's interesting when people talk about using electric vehicles, that electricity has to be powered somehow. (laughs) Um, But as there has been such a push, especially by the Biden administration and other politicians around the country, it seems that young people, very focused on this as well, where climate change is the biggest issue they care about right now. What is that due to those who work in the energy industry based on even how they feel about the work that they're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's just this, this general sense of denigration amongst the energy community, um, the traditional energy community of, you know, our work potentially not being valued or seen as important when you know, there's this massive push for alternative energy resource um, resources. When, you know, at the end of the day, those are not as sustainable as domestic as as traditional energy sources. Um, and I think with the media narrative around these alternative options that. You know they're they're not quite as sustainable at this at this moment. Um, I think the general consensus amongst the energy workers is that they don't feel that their work is necessarily valued, and I think there's just a general. I think this also relates to like a larger kind of a rural narrative about the work that happens and it's not just in the energy industry right this is across the board about how i think a lot of rural americans have felt kind of left behind um by overall kind of policies um but i mean when you have like legislators who kind of want to regulate traditional um industries out of out of their out of business uh, in favor of more um you know other you know out of out of the newer greener things then that's kind of what happens so
0: and and what can you say as somebody whose family works in this industry as far as how energy workers treat the environment that they work in? So there's this, of course, this narrative that if you deal with fossil fuels, you're destroying the environment, you don't care. What would you say about people who own the land that they're working in many cases?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked this question. This is my favorite thing to talk about because um, there's this this understanding or this, I think, narrative from people who actually live in cities and live in concrete jungles that the people who are... Extracting energy are these monsters? When in fact we're the ones who live and breathe the most clean air and the most beautiful forest. I mean, I live in the heart of the Allegheny National Forest, and my family are all, all outdoorsmen. I'm an I'm an active person. I mean, I, I we live in the most beautiful place I think in America, and we're all stewards of the environment. My family takes pride in, you know, we go into these places where we work and we leave them better than we found them. I was a Girl Scout, so I have that mantra wherever I go. Anyways, but um, I mean these these guys and these guys. Who work out in the woods? They really, they really take care of the places that they work, right? They hunt, they fish, they ride ATVs, they hike, they ski, they snowmobile. They they want to leave the the woods where they work better than where they found it, because they understand that these this forest that provides for them they they want to protect that place that they love because they spend time there with their families so i think that's a that's a really key pl- point that you bring up i actually gave um you know kind of throughout my whole life i've been this is something i'm passionate about right so i would when i was in high school i would give like speeches and um we would have Um, The Department of Environmental Protection here in Pennsylvania would come to hearings and I would always like, you know, give my little speech from my perspective and I would ask people, you know, in the audience to raise their hand if they were like active outdoorsmen. And I think it was always shocking for like the people in the room to have that narrative flipped on them like, oh, wow, these people actually do care about the environment because they're spending time outdoors like, I think that people forget that the people who work outside are the ones who want to protect the places and, that they like to spend time.
0: Any there. insight you can give into how there has been, obviously, improvement and evolution and energy production over the years, especially when you think of Pennsylvania, you think of fracking, um, there are cleaner ways that we can do it now than what we did decades before. Anything that you can shed some light on on that side? Yeah, I mean,
1: it. I think there's a big misunderstanding about what fracking actually is. Fracking has become like the dirty F word, but it's really not what anyone think it is. It seems for hydro like fracturing. So you're literally using sand and water to fracture like microcosms in in rock formations. Um and my dad is my dad has been known to like take uh, you know legislators or whoever out on these tours of um like leases and um where they're actually fracking and drink frac water because it's not anything that it's not that scary, right? It's just literally there. There's the same component that's in frack water that's used to make ice cream. It's like a salt component, um, so it's not anything that scary, right? There's um, there's this misunderstanding that it's something so scary when in fact you know the water that comes off the roads. I live near Buffalo, New York, right? So we get a lot of snow here, and so um, the water that washes off from the salt that they use when they um, take care of the roads in the winter. Um, is a lot more dangerous, I would say, to the environment than frack water, given the salinity in the water. Um, but I think there's just a scariness of, of what fracking really is, when in fact, natural gas is a super, super clean form of energy um, that could really revolution revolutionize the energy industry, especially here domestically, right? As I mentioned, Pennsylvania is the second um, largest producing state of natural gas. And if we unleash that domestic capability, um, of natural gas, I think we have a limitless opportunity to power America in a new way. Um, but yeah, I think just the technologies have are always advancing, and the being not so afraid of what fracking really means. It's not it's not as scary. It's not the big F word that everyone thinks it is. Um, when someone is willing to drink the the frac water that are in pit liners, that you know, like I said, they're not. It's not any different than the the water that's coming off the roads um, in the winter time when when the states are applying the road, and salting the roads. I've
0: always thought the biggest problem with fracking was that they named it fracking. (laughs) And if it had a different name, it sounds bad. It sounds bad. So I understand on the surface. I I still to this day think that maybe they should change the name of it just to, because The word makes you feel something. So that's just just my little side note there. Um, I I want to talk about what it means economically for the state and also for the people. So when you, you think about the state of Pennsylvania, how many people work in the energy industry? And so I think it's important to talk about this because when we talk about regulations and policies that want to take it away, you're talking about taking away people's livelihood.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's 93,000 um, Pennsylvanians are employed by the energy industry directly and overall about th- uh, 300,000 people. So it's a big chunk of our economy. It's about 4% of our economy um, or actually I think it's nationally 4%. It's um, our, uh, We contribute to the economy here in Pennsylvania from our energy sector. So it's a big chunk. And I think it also speaks to kind of the heart of, of Pennsylvania's economy, right? We have these these men and women who really they they contribute in a big moral way, right? They they are so dedicated to their work. They are proud to work in this industry, and they contribute to an industry that again powers our country. When you turn on the lights, you are consuming Pennsylvania industry energy. Um, we have the oldest operating refinery in America, right here in my county, actually, and this is I think a testament to kind of the the heart of what this all means, right? That these men and women go to work every single day at this refinery that makes Pennsylvania grade crude oil. And I think that that means something, right? It's not coming from a country where they burn American flags and that they hate America. You know, we have, it's an honorable, it's an honorable industry where you can do this work equitably, affordably, safely, um, and and truly, honestly, environmentally friendly and safely because it's, we, we have the right um, mechanisms in place to ensure that we're protecting the environment in a, in a, you know, in a sound, a sound way, compared to places where they don't, you know, I'm, I don't think that they're so concerned about the environment in Saudi Arabia, where we're getting the rest of our oil from. So,
0: well, let's round out the conversation on things people should be looking for as far as policies, regulations, legislation that is trying to be passed that is almost always detrimental to the industry, energy industry. So, what type? What are the ways that government has tried to really make things harder for for anything fossil fuel related?
1: That's a that's a big question, right, because you have uh, I would say I think it's shocking to see how much the states have tried to harm these industries. Right. So here in Pennsylvania, um, state legislators and really state bureaucrats have tried to categorize. uh, conventional and non-conventional oil and gas in the same category, meaning um, shallow wells, which is what my family does, right? And these are small family-owned and operated businesses. These are not Shell and um, Chevron. These are these are small companies, right? Like 50 and under employees. I mean, in a lot of cases, just literally like a father, a son, and a grandson working out in the field. Um, but they categorize, you know, shallow wells with the deep wells, which are horizontal drilling um, versus just vertical. Um, that's one major thing, right? Because it's a completely different process and a completely different size and scope of drilling. Um, But then at the federal level, right, you have the basically, you know, bureaucratic state of of the EPA, you have even, you know, Department of Labor, all these different um, departments that are trying to, you know, have unelected officials who kind of want to regulate not just the energy producers out of business, but a lot of different industries out of business. So, I would say anything that Congress can do and lawmakers can do to have oversight over those um, agencies to ensure that they're not, you know, overreaching their their scope of of you know what they're able to do. Um, But I think just keeping an eye at what the states are doing. um, Here in Pennsylvania, we have you know have state lawmakers and state again unelected state officials who truly are very hostile to the energy industry um, because they don't think they really understand what it means and they've never even step foot in our corner of the state. It's a big, very big state. As a lot of these states are New York, there's actually a lot of energy production in New York state and in New York city, right? They hate the energy industry. So I think just being aware of how important, you know, the, the state level activity is, um, is a big part of this also.
0: Well, I think such a big part of it is just countering the narratives that we often hear out there. And so your op-ed does that. You coming on and talking about this does that. And so we hope more people are more informed after listening to you. Brianna Howard with IWF, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you so much, Beverly. I appreciate you taking time to have me on. Absolutely. And thank you all for joining us. Before you go, IWF does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That's iwf.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode so your friends can know where they can find more She Thinks. From all of us here at IWF,